Welcome to the Careers, Employability and Skills podcast from Queen's University, Belfast. This episode was recorded as part of the Employability Skills Bite-Sized Sessions entitled Change and Adaptability and is hosted by Roshin McCartney from the Queen's Careers, Employability and Skills Department. This session then um, runs as you know a series of short employability skills sessions all aimed at helping you to identify the skills hopefully that you already possess, perhaps maybe some that you want to gain that that you feel you don't really have enough um, experience or skills in. And the intention in creating these sessions is really just to be able to help you talk about these skills at interview. So the idea is I'll give you a framework around the topic you match that to your own skills and your own experience. And then at the end of the session, I'll give you some examples of the sort of questions that you might get asked at interview around this topic. Um, it's a sort of topic that is, you know, it, it's, it's quite broad in many ways. Um, I have it under interpersonal skills here. Um, it could easily fit under leadership skills, problem solving, teamwork, communication skills, and certainly because we're talking about change and adaptability, resilience would come into that as well. And folks, as I said, I know a lot of you have done some of these sessions with me before, so apologies if you've heard all this before, but it's it's for the new folk that might be joining us. So the course structure, what the way I want to cover things today. So why do employers want to question you about change and ability? What, what is it that they're actually looking for? And I want to start you thinking about how adaptable you are and maybe how, you know, start to think you to start thinking about being in a more sort of change ready way or at least being able to talk in that way. Um, a little bit about reactions to change and a little bit about theory on change. Now, this isn't a session on how to do change or anything. Um, it's really just about how to talk about change. But I do think that it's a bit, you know, it's useful to know a bit about change and some of the theories around it, if you don't already know that, so that you have some idea of what managers are looking for, you know, why they're asking you about change and adaptability in the first place. I'll talk to you a little bit about how to frame your story because you may be someone who doesn't really like change, but you will have dealt with change in the past. All of us have. So it's important to be able to frame those things positively. And as usual, we'll finish off with some sample interview questions. So first of all, I'd like you to think about the changes that you've been faced with in the last year. And it would be great if you could put some stuff into the chat. But what I'd like you to think a bit more widely just than, well, I'm having to do all of my work online now because we all can say that. So, you know, start to think a little bit more widely about the changes that you've had to deal with this year. And if you're comfortable, you know, pop them into the chat for me. So what are the other things that you've adjusted to in order to deal with the changes? And I'm going to give you an example from me. It's a very small example, but just something to get you thinking about, you know, how things are working for yourself. So now that we're all encouraged to only shop once a week, I had to sit down at the beginning and, you know, think about one, one night a week, think about drawing up a meal plan for the family. And this is not 
something that I was used to doing at all. In fact, it's something that I had tried before and really didn't like because, you know, I, I don't like planning on a Monday what I'm going to eat on a Friday. I never, never really liked that. So I, you know, was very much a call in and get something on the way home from work. And so this was a big change for me. And I quickly became very bored with the list of usual meals and started to look for ways of injecting a bit of novelty into the weekly menu. Don't know if any of the rest of you are feeling the same about that. So the family then would be roped in to come up with new ideas. Everyone takes a turn at making something different or new to us. Um, my daughter started getting one of those kits that come in the post that, you know, was basically the flavorings that you need to make some more exciting meals. Um, my repertoire of meals became a bit bigger. And I'd say that, you know, even with that, probably uh, the most exciting and the best purchase of lockdown this year was buying a toasty maker for, for lunch times. So, you know, the, the, I'm telling you this not because it's a huge change or anything, um, not because it's a very exciting or insightful sort of story, but just to give you an example of how we've all had to make adjustments in our lives and continue to make adjustments. And it might not be something that we're wanting to do, but we're managing the change process for ourselves. And really, until I, you know, until I started thinking about this session, um, I wouldn't have acknowledged that this was an example of me managing change in my life because it's something that you just have to get on and do. So, you know, I'm giving you this example as a think about the changes that you've adjusted to, how you've taken those on, on board, how you've adjusted to them and how you're managing that. So, you know, it was quite a progressive sort of thing for me. And certainly whenever we go back to whatever the new normality might be, I will certainly try to retain some of the habits that I formed this year and then enjoy the sort of freedom and flexibility of fewer restrictions on the meal planning. So if that's given you any sort of thoughts, pop into the chat examples of how you've managed changes or what changes you might have managed. It might be things, for example, around exercising or socializing, it might be around your learning and your studying. It might be something that you've helped others with, maybe perhaps somebody else adjust to something. So Terry, anything coming into the chat there at all? Um, Barra has said uh, he gets used to live alone without his family and he has gone to set up, sorry, yeah, setting up his laptop and to know more people easily. Yeah, yeah, okay. Anybody else contributed? Okay, well, thank you, Barra. Anyway, if any of you think of any other examples, pop them in the chat and, and, and we'll come back to them later on then. Sorry, there's another one there. Exercise yeah. is a big one. Um, yeah. This individual in each trains with martial, the martial arts club. <laughs> okay, and so is that God online now, I wonder? Yeah, seems to be a few more coming in. and. Giorgio says he forces himself um, when there's good weather to go out for a walk and starts to try to read more books at the park, even though it makes him really nervous. Uh, yeah. So pushes 
pushes himself outside of his comfort zone there. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay, so moving on then. So we all know that change is necessary and that there are many factors influencing change. So just to sort of think about some of those things, and these will be around, you know, if, if you're working in a company, what are the sort of factors that might be influencing change there? And even just as, you know, as students now, the sort of things that might influence. So environmental changes, for example, the focus on sustainability at the minute. Funding changes. So it could be that there's more or less funding, you know, that will make a difference to what departments or what companies can do. Social changes, you know, a, a company has to look at, do people still want what you're providing, whether that's services or whether it's products. Political changes, and there that's a constant sort of thing. So from changes in government policy, the likes of Brexit, et cetera, et cetera. Demographic changes and global changes. So changes which can be anything from, you know, not getting the same footfall in a shopping centre because it's fallen out of fashion to the sort of global changes that, you know, we're all becoming aware of. And of course, the huge amount then of technological changes that seem to be coming at a faster and faster rate. So many things requiring us to make changes and it's a constant thing. So whenever you're talking about you in terms of change and adaptability, remember that this is something that you are doing constantly, but it's up to you to be aware of it and to sort of take note of the changes that you are making and what you're adapting to. So here's another question for you to pop an answer into the chat. What do you think is generally the biggest obstacle to implementing change? So imagine you're a manager in a company and you want to implement a new change into that company. What do you think is generally the biggest obstacle? Any thoughts coming in there? We've quite a few. We've got people's mindset uh, to refuse the change, implementing a new schedule or timetable and people. OK, great. And I think actually somebody nailed it there with mindsets and attitude. And so for the most part, people will sort of say, oh, it's people that prevent change. And yes, to a large extent it is to some extent, but but it's their mindsets, because if you think about it, um, you know, you need people to be able to implement any sort of change. Excuse me. I get rid of that. Um, so, you know, it could be things like technology. It could be that you've done it at the wrong time or something like that. But an IBM study has said that it's mindsets and attitudes of people. So it's not because of the capabilities or the knowledge of people, because obviously, you, you know, they need that. It's the mindset and the attitudes. And obviously, if you think about it, that's the thing that's going to be the hardest to adjust. And that's very important because if you take that back to your interview skills and those questions around how you deal with change, remember that you want to demonstrate how you've implemented change, both in terms of your behaviours, but also in terms of your attitude to it. 
So that's, you know, you want to talk about it in that sort of positive way. You might want to look at others' attitude to the change that might be involved and in what your example might be, um, and maybe how you help to overcome those attitudes. But remember that whenever you're talking about change, a lot of it is going to be about your attitude to it. And according to P Peter Singh, people don't resist change, they resist being changed. And again, that's something, you know, worth pondering on because in people's personal lives you know usually make their own choices and they put in place the changes that they choose to put in place so it's not something that's very um onerous to them but at work you know they can feel coerced into changing things and so they often use the only power that they have to sort of gain control or or to to think that they can gain control and that's basically to resist the change. So Seng says that to avoid the resistance you should give people some control and let them make decisions and again if you're answering a question about maybe how you you know helped someone in a group to adjust to the change or even yourself look at giving them some control or talking about the sort of things that can be controlled. Okay. So just some things to get you thinking about change there. So giving control, if you're going to implement a change, then some things that might help you to bring people along on that change would be to communicate enough about the change to them. Communication is always the thing that people complain about that there just isn't enough of. And remember, this is about mindsets and attitudes. So people need to know what the change is, why we're doing it, the reason for it, because people will always think we were all right the way we were, we don't need this. So it's really important to be able to communicate that well. How it relates to their particular job role, what the benefits would be for the organisation and including the individual as well. So, you know, what might that person, that individual get out of this? What might those benefits be? What the priorities are, especially if there's a lot of changes, what are the main issues? What is the main things that the main goals that we're going for her here? And what the what they actually need to do. So it's one thing to be able to talk about the change, but what does that individual person have to do in order to be able to successfully navigate through that change? And again, there might be some things there that you could incorporate into your interview answers. So attitudes to change, we've pretty much covered what you need to be able to talk about in terms of change and adaptability. And now I want to move on to how adaptable you might be. So how adaptable you as a person are to change or your reaction to change. Now, there's all sorts of questionnaires on the website and you can certainly go online and get your hands on, on a questionnaire about your adaptability. But I think that people basically have a gut reaction to change. People generally know if they're the sort of person who likes change or who doesn't like change. And, you know, I'm including in that the fact that we resist change that's imposed on us. But some people are also more likely to want change as well, even if it is, you know, imposed on us. So the you have two set of statements here. The first set of statements, if that mostly fits you, 
then you're probably a bit more ready for change. So if you look at that first set, change means excitement to me. I get a thrill from change. I welcome challenges to try out new things. I try to welcome critical feedback. I would find no change boring. I look for opportunities to develop my new skills and knowledge and change means progress to me. So if, if you're you know, listening or reading those and thinking, yep, that's that's pretty much the way I feel about it, then chances are you're pretty change ready. If this other set of statements is more like, you know, a better fit for you, then chances are you're someone who's a bit more concerned about change. So I find uncertainty frightening. I like what I know. Change means a threat to me. I find it frustrating to be a beginner. I mind changes which alter my close relationships. I am suspicious of people who suggest change and new colleagues sap my energy. And as well as sort of, you know, looking at those and they're fairly negative about change, they also have quite a big range of different things there. So you can see things like, I find it frustrating to be a beginner. So there's a fear about maybe having to start to learn new skills or, you know, to not be good at something that maybe you already were good at something and now you have to go back to square one. There's stuff there about close relationships. There's things there about, you know, suspicion and, and trust. So there's a big range of things that, you know, are taken into account there. And the people who tend not to want change will, you know, tend to see change as something that's concerning, something that's maybe a little bit frightening. And there's various reasons around that. So, you know, if you are someone who thinks that they're very positive about change and you're someone who might have to implement change, then you have to be thinking that it's not the same for everyone. Um, and obviously, this is a sort of reason that you're asked about change in interviews as well, because these are the reactions that are very, very typical. So are you change ready or are you more likely to be concerned about change? And remember, whenever you're um, looking at answering your interview questions, you're, you're, you're not trying to sort of say, oh, yes, I'm change ready whenever you're actually not. What you're doing is looking at examples of how you've managed change in the past and you're putting that into positive, positive forms. OK, nobody's going to really say, are you ready for change or are you not? It's all about giving those examples. So if there was a, a change spectrum, you'd probably see yourself with someone who's either ready for what you might see as a chance or a challenge, or you might see, you know, be more concerned about the change if you're at the other side of the spectrum. And it might take a little more time for you to get used to the change. And remember when you were looking at those statements, were you thinking about change as something that you were instigating, which is entirely different, or something that was being imposed on you? And because that makes a huge difference to how you view the change. And maybe you're someone who likes to change things up regularly, as long as you're the one that's doing the choosing and, you know, deciding what those changes might be. So, you might be someone whose natural reaction to change is to be concerned. Then you might have some very natural and valid concerns. And we've seen a huge amount lately of, you know, changes with companies changing their structure or downsizing or introducing new technology, wanting new skills. 
So worries such as can I learn something new are, you know, very natural. Will my job change to something I don't enjoy anymore? Will my status and security be lost? Will I be moved to another department or branch? Will I lose my job? And the very sort of overarching fear are why do we have to change the way we do things anyway? So all of these are valid concerns. And, you know, whether it's you feeling them or whether it's colleagues feeling them, they shouldn't be ignored. They're things that are, you know, very based in reality. And if you're trying to implement a change, you need to be aware that some people will be feeling this way. And I think that it's all too easy for management and indeed other colleagues as well to overlook those natural fears. But it's exactly the sort of thing that can mean the success or the, the failure of implementing a change. So they shouldn't be overlooked and proper communication, you know, would be needed to alleviate some of those concerns. So just going back to, you know, one of my previous slides, I think that it's important to look at the sort of characteristics that might be associated with people who are not keen on change. Um, so if, if you look at, at that little quote there, I'm happy with predictability and order and knowing with confidence what needs to be done by when and how. And if I were to ask you, you know, what are the sort of characteristics of people who are not change oriented? You might say things like, you know, they might be older and that could be true. But if you think of it, the older you are, the more change you've been through. So I think it's more about character than about age. Um, you may say that they're possibly set in their ways or loyal to the old ways or maybe very process driven. But, you know, none of those are particularly bad things. When the change goes through, what you really want are people who, you know, know how to do the job, continue to do it well, and are reliable and steady and loyal and follows the new processes that have been put in place. So remember that when you're talking about change at interview, you may consider yourself as someone who isn't very change oriented, but you will have been through changes just the same as everyone else. And it is how you talk about the change that's important. So always be thinking about how you manage the change and how you can talk about it positively. And that doesn't mean that you can't acknowledge the difficulties involved, but it's how you overcame them that's important. Okay, I just want to check in, Terry, and see if there's anything that I need to address in the chat, if there's any questions or comments or anything. Not really, Morrison. It's just some people are saying about the attendance form, they can't access it. Okay, all right. Um, maybe if you, I'll, I'll, I'll try putting it in at the end as well then. Okay, all right. Moving on to reactions to change then, um, and a little bit of theory. You won't often see me putting diagrams like this up in a PowerPoint, um, but you know that this session is purely to help you talk about change at interview. But I thought that it was important to cover one or two of the theories in a very basic format, just in case you have you know, a reason for incorporating it or to, you need some knowledge of it. So I wanted to have a quick look at the Kubler-Ross change curve. And this basically describes 
the internal sort of emotional journey that people typically experience when they're dealing with change and transition. And I think it, it really comes from whenever people are dealing with, you know, suffer a loss, which is exactly what a transition can be. So the journey consists of a number of stages that people go through. And I'll just talk you through each of those stages or some of those stages. So shock and denial. After the initial shock of being confronted with a change, people often resist engaging with the change as if they're trying to prove that the change is unnecessary or isn't really happening. So it's like, I'll, I'll just resist it and it'll go away. The denial phase can have an additional burst of energy where people are looking for evidence that it isn't actually true. And I know that that can sound a bit dramatic, but think about it in terms of, you know, rumors of a shop closing or something like that. People are asking others, what have they heard? Do you think it could be true? I don't think it will ever happen. You know, so you get those sort of phrases of, of, of shock and denial. Anger and frustration then, people begin to realize that actually something is happening, something is going on here. They can no longer avoid engaging with it. At this point, the denial often gives way to anger or frustration and the idea that it's not fair might take hold and often others are blamed and those others are most likely to be management. Um, depression then, so performance tends to decline at this stage because remember the change is happening but people are, are probably still working. So performance tends to decline at this stage and people feel lacking in energy. The morale's very low. Um, the blame may turn towards themselves. People will often need help to look realistically at the impact the changes will have on them individually. Excuse me. Um, this is a stage where managers are really feeling the loss and the cost to them individually. A manager would do well not to ignore or try to minimize this. So how people are feeling is really important whenever you're trying to, to manage that change. So up to this point, the process has been very much about trying to hold on to the current situation. And then the realization that all efforts are failing leaves people at their lowest point in terms of their performance, in terms of their energy and the morale. So confusion, sadness, and even depression are all characteristic of this period. Sounds very depressing indeed. So coming through this period requires a point of acceptance. So, you know, you get to a point where you actually begin to accept that the change is happening. And the person begins to accept at a deeper level that the change is indeed happening and has some resolve to face what will be a new future. So that's sort of the bottom of the curve and beginning then to, to turn, um, you know, to, to, to go up the ways in terms of the curve. And moving on then to experiment and explore. So the acceptance has to come for people to begin to start to be outward and forward looking and to start to look at and explore new possibilities. And then the decision. So they begin to engage with the new situation. Then they start to look at how they can work in this new situation and they begin to explore problem solving behaviours. So they've got to a point where they realise I'm going to have to work in this new situation. This bit of it doesn't work for me. How can I start to engage with this and make it actually work for me as well? 
And then integration, the final stage. So they, they try out new approaches and eventually integrate these into the new way of working. And of course, they begin to problem solve and settle into the situation and their morale and their confidence also improves. So a slightly less theoretical way of looking at it might be, you know, this change is news to me. This is a worse way of working. I'm stressed by learning to work differently. This and then the, the, the change in the curve, this could solve some of our problems. And this is a great way of working. So it's, you know, just again to show you a little bit of the change there that can take place and does take place. And, and if you've been through any major changes with a big group of people, we'll definitely see evidence of that. I want to give you a little bit of information on two other change theories, and I'm not putting the slides up here um, of two, two extra to this, but I will include them in the PDF, the link to the PDF that I'll give you out. Um, but just to give you some brief information on this one. So um, what we what we've just looked at is how people process and deal with change. These two theories are about implementing a change in organisations and I'll put, as I said, slightly more detail into the, the slides, the link to the slides. So the first one that I think you should know about is Kurt Lewin's change model and it basically focuses on the three stages, unfreezing, changing and refreezing. And it means that, you know, the, pr the process starts with unfreezing, which is altering the present state. So what is happening currently? has to alter before change can happen. It's very basic, really. Um, in the unfreeze stage, you need to find out exactly what needs to change. You put in place the people, the leaders to support that change. You create the need for the change. So, you know, you communicate a vision around that change. And you also manage and understand the sort of doubts and concerns and the driving and the resisting forces that would be happening at that time too. The second phase then is when the actual change is introduced. This phase needs a lot of communication because this is where you're taking people through the change and there's often a lot of confusion and rumours have to be dispelled and you're giving people the power to take action to implement the change and involving people in the whole process. So that's the actual change part of it. And then the last phase is the re refreeze stage. And this is where all the change effort is stabilized and refrozen into its new form. So anchoring the changes into the culture, developing ways to sustain the change, providing support and training, and celebrating successes. So that's why the teams go out at the end of a project to celebrate successes. And as I said, I'll put those that those sort of details into the slide for you. And then the very last theory that I do want to cover for you is Cotter's change model. And these are it's basically the same sort of thing, a few different phrases in there, but I'm throwing it in for you here in case it's something that you can build on in terms of formulating your um, interview answers around change and adaptability. So John Cotter suggests that for change to be successful, 75% of the people need to buy into the change. Right. So you need to get buy in from a lot of people before you start to implement it at all. 
in other words, you have to work really hard in step one and spend a lot of time and energy building urgency before moving into the next steps. And again, that's something important if you're thinking about how you maybe have managed change in your own life. He says not to panic and jump in too fast because you don't want to risk further short-term losses. If you act without proper preparation, you could make things much more difficult. So Cotter has his eight-step model and you'll see a lot of the same phrases used between these models. So they're here for you to pick up the terminology that might work for you in your change examples. And that brings me to framing your story. So when an employer is asking you questions about change, it's because they basically want people who can not only deal with change when it happens, but also perhaps instigate and implement change. It depends on the sort of job that you're going for, obviously, but any sort of management role will certainly require you to instigate and implement some sort of changes. And so they want people, you know, they want you to be able to show that um, you can proactively keep up with changes affect, affecting their, their industry. So read the journals and the industry magazines and do the research. OK, look for ways to make a change work instead of identifying why it won't work. And I think that it's important to note that identifying why something may not work is also important. But then you have to look beyond the negatives to find the solutions. So remember, it's all about that positive attitude and how you frame things positively. They want people who can make suggestions for increasing the effectiveness of changes who can shift strategies or approaches in response to the demands of a situation. So adapt to the changing demands of the situation. People who can continuously seek out ways to improve things at project and company level. So how can we improve quality? How can we streamline processes? How can we satisfy customers? Always sort of looking at what can be improved. They want people who can adapt quickly and easily to change, show willingness to learn new methods, procedures or techniques. So, you know, you've seen examples there of people might be worried about having to learn new things or new techniques. Um, they want people who can adjust to changing environments while maintaining effectiveness, because when all the change is happening, the job still has to be done. So you need to be able to adjust to things while you're still being effective in your job. They want people who can make good choices for the good of the company or the organization. They want you to be able to change your behavioral style or your method of approach when necessary to achieve a goal. So for example, that might be how you work within a team or how you've worked with an individual, or it might be, um, you know, do you always have to go by the book? Is that is this an occasion to, to change that? Do something outside of your comfort zone? Um, they want people who can respond to change with a positive attitude and a willingness to learn. And I think that that's always something that you can talk about and that you should have examples for. So consider these points whenever you're coming up with your examples and framing your responses. And again, for any of you who've been with me before, you'll have heard this before, but um, 
before I do the, the interview questions, I want to give you the sort of how we like you to set up or prepare your answers. So for your interview preparation, I just want to remind you of the STAR technique for effectively answering your interview questions. Basically, you want to be able to tell the interviewer your story by putting your answer into context for them. And, you know, remember that an interviewer is probably listening to a lot of similar answers to the same questions from a lot of people. So it's important that you can sort of translate that answer for them and put it into a really um, a format that's very good, easy for them to, to, to take on board. So when you're formulating your answer, follow the STAR technique. It makes your answers clear and logical, and it means that you're getting across the main points that you need to. So start by listening to the question. Think of the example that you're going to use. Hopefully, if you've been attending these sessions, you'll have prepared a lot of these answers or similar ones ahead of time. But even if you're thinking on your feet, frame your answer into situation, task, action and result and describe the event or situation that you were in. Explain the task that you had to complete. What were the challenges involved? Describe the specific actions that you personally took to complete the task. And you can say what you did as a team, but you should also say what you personally did. And finish with the results. So what was the results of your actions? Were there benefits? Were there any savings? What was the impact? So that's the, the STAR technique. And it's really worth um, you know, keeping that in mind whenever you're formulating your answers to questions. So some of those questions that you might be faced with then. What is the biggest change that you've had to deal with and how did you handle it? And again, I've given you some of those models so that you can give some idea. You don't have to use the same terminology or anything, but to give you an idea of what the sort of positive way that you might put in place, how you handled it. Tell me about a change that you have implemented to improve things at work. Describe a situation where you started off thinking that your approach was the best, but needed to alter your course during the implementation. So that's about you taking something on board. <coughs> Excuse me. And being able to decide that a better way, a better approach might be more appropriate. Can you give an example of a time you influenced a colleague or manager to adopt your way of thinking? So the effect that you can have on other people, how you can influence them. Talk about a situation where you were asked to do something that you had never attempted previously. So that's about going outside of your comfort zone, being willing to learn new things, approaching those tasks positively. Tell us how one of your projects suffered a setback due to an unexpected change in circumstances. And of course, you wouldn't just look at what the setback was, but how you adjusted to that, how you managed that change, approached it and succeeded. Tell us about a time when you had to adjust to someone's way of working to achieve a goal or complete a project. And that's about being able to adapt to other people's style of working and also maybe to adapt your own approach to, to a certain situation. So remember, put them into the STAR framework. Position your, your response in a positive way, even if the change was not entirely successful. 
even if it was uncomfortable for you, it's still, you know, good to have a good example of what the change was. It's also important to remember that it doesn't have to be a huge change. It's more about how you can talk about it. So you're not necessarily looking for what the biggest change was that you had to adjust to, but what's the best example of how you positively adjusted to the changes? Okay, so I'm just going to give you some reminders before I come to questions. So just to give you the rest of the dates of the sessions that are coming up. So today is change and adaptability, of course. The next six sessions are all bunched together basically in development weeks. So the two weeks of development weeks and the six more sessions there, all the same sort of thing, half 12 to half one, um, and you know, basically around your interview skills. So any questions? And obviously you've got myself, you've got Terry, who's a professional careers consultant. So, you know, two for the price of one. Now's your chance if you've got any questions. Anything from anybody? Nothing yet, Russian. Okay. Um, I have access to the list here, so I'm downloading the list. Um, attendance, or I should say attendance list. So anyone who's had any problems with filling in the attendance sheet, don't worry about that because I'll have downloaded your the names anyway. Okay, well, should we just had one that's just popped in there? Mm -hmm. And it's if change is based on attitude and characteristics, then how can we influence others? So the approach, so change isn't based on attitudes. The, the how people react to change is based on that. So influencing others is going back to that communications thing about communicating what the vision is and about how it's going to work, why it's needed in the first place, how you can sort of easily get people through it. Um, you know, it, and, and it's also about understanding the difficulties that people are having. So taking it sort of slow and steady and making sure that people can see the benefits to them and trying to alleviate any of the fears that people might have and not being dismissive of them. Okay, so that's a short and snappy one. You have been listening to Find Your Future, a podcast from careers, employability and skills at Queen's University Belfast. For more career helps and advice, visit go.qb.ac.uk slash careers.